Hello and welcome to today's episode. I will be speaking to Dr. Hannah Scott on sleep monitoring and wearables. Dr. Scott, tell us about yourself. Thanks for having me, David. So I'm a research associate at Flinders University, and I specialize in the development and testing of new and emerging sleep technologies. This is the Clinical Takeaway podcast from HealthEd, where we interview leading medical experts on important topics that can positively change the way you practice. Here's your host, GP and medical educator, Dr. David Lim. Before we start, I'd like to encourage you to register for tonight's webcast, where you can always catch a high-quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. Register now at healthed.com.au. Hannah, as GPs, we are often aware of, you know, a patient might have sleep apnea, let's do a sleep study. So we know what's out there in terms of ambulatory home uh, monitoring and, of course, the full PSGs. What are you actually working on and where do you see its place in the future? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. So I think um, we still have a lot of development to go with the sleep technologies that we have available. We're seeing most of the developments in the consumer sleep technology space, and then those technologies are being translated into clinical practice. I think um, GPs will be able to relate to this, that often patients will come in with their own sleep tech. They might have a Fitbit or an under mattress sleep sensor or some sort of device that's telling them about their sleep. And then they approach the GP with that data um, to try and gain insights about their sleep. Um, So really we're seeing the drive in um, emerging sleep tech coming from consumers and the consumer marketplace. Um, But now we're starting to see in the past couple of years, some of these companies um, going for uh, official regulatory approvals, so FDA approval, TGA approval, um, so that they can now start to branch into the uh, clinical market as well. Going back to the previous, and you're quite right, we're wearing all sorts of things to try to gauge our length of sleep and quality of sleep. How useful are these? Yeah, it's a terrific question. I think GPs ask themselves that question all the time as well. I suppose that these devices are only as useful as we make them out to be. The data itself isn't useful unless we use it for a purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, Simply telling someone they sleep, they slept six hours last night, isn't useful unless we use that in the management of a sleep disorder, for example. So, I'm optimistic. I think that we can make these devices useful for the management of sleep disorders. I think it really depends on how we apply the data that is being collected from these devices, like for what purpose we use them for, but also as well recognizing the limitations of this sleep technology. It's not as accurate and it's not equivalent to a sleep study. And so we need to acknowledge that and be aware of that in the conclusions that we make from this data. But some of its advantages as well, being able to have multi-night tracking and being able to pick up on physiological signals, we're seeing um, O2 estimates and um, heart rate estimates as well coming from these devices. That can be quite useful to manage a lot of ongoing health conditions. Um, So we just need to recognize the limitations of this tech um, when we apply them in clinical practice. 
That's for the moment, right? Because you, you say that there are limitations and that some companies are actually going for regulatory approval. So they've got to get their act together. Absolutely. Uh, so what I'm hearing is that patients will use wearables for whatever reason they think they want to use it for. Um, not often. Uh, sometimes these uh, reasons are not, well, the right reasons to use because the data that they get is not going to be helpful in managing whatever thing it, they think they're managing. Mm -hmm. So as GPs, we're really caught up between what the patient expects of the device and what to make of the data. And therefore, a GP has very little role in translating this data for that patient. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. That tends to be the current practice. And I think this is a real opportunity for GPs to step in and give the context to the sleep data. Yeah. I think often when these devices can be unhelpful is when consumers interpret their data uh, inappropriately. Mm -hmm. They might come in with their own expectations about what their sleep should look like. Mm -hmm. And then when the data doesn't match that expectation, that can lead to some pretty negative outcomes. Yeah. Um, so if we have GPs um, there as able to interpret the sleep data that's been collected from these devices uh, and feed the information back to give recommendations that are actually helpful to the patient um, to manage their ongoing sleep disorders or often sometimes it's just reassuring them that actually their sleep perhaps isn't as bad as they first thought it was. The problem, however, Hannah, is that there are so many different types of wearables. Mm -hmm. Even some GPs are not aware of the range of variables and therefore what they're measuring. And, and, and therefore it comes not easy for us to contextualize the data. Mm -hmm. how, how do we get ourselves up to speed with knowing what's out there and what device is actually made to measure? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's it's a very difficult task keeping up with uh, the consumer sleep tech that's available because it's such an evolving uh, field. Um, we're seeing devices come and go within the space of a few years. So expecting GPs to um, keep up with all those developments is a very difficult task. Um, there is resources available online. Um, so um, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, for example, have a resource where they give um, a little synopsis about each major sleep device, including their advantages, their disadvantages, um, exactly what sensors they incorporate, even the evidence that's available for them as well. So any other research studies that have been done with those devices. Um, and that's a pretty um, up-to-date resource that uh, GPs can access, but certainly as well, um, yeah, it's such an evolving field that I think trying to at least keep up with the ones that are given, uh, that are awarded FDA and TGA approvals is probably uh, the best way to go. And we are going to see a few more devices in the next couple of years, I suspect, that will get approval. Hannah, do you have a sneak preview to what's coming ahead for us? And maybe tell us a little bit about what you're working on. Oh, absolutely. So I think some of the um, most promising areas that we're seeing uh, emerge recently are with simplified EEG-based devices. So these are typically devices worn either as headbands or they're worn on the forehead. Um, and they essentially, they, they'll use either wet or dry electrodes to assess EEG and usually a whole bunch of other signals as well. And so we're seeing that technology really 
evolving at a very rapid rate. Um, and so some of those devices I can see getting approved in the next couple of years or so. Wow. Yeah. There's others as well, which, you know, GPs will come across because they tend to be much cheaper devices and much more readily available. Things like Fitbits and all these sports type watches, um, which also have sleep tracking capabilities in them as well. Some of these, you know, it depends on the device. Some of them have a fair bit of evidence behind them by now, but we're seeing like in America, for example, um, Fitbit and Apple and these major companies um, pursuing FDA approval for specific um, clinical uses. So I, I can see that in the next couple of years as well, these might be devices which we find useful in clinical practice, um, but we're really still waiting the demonstration, I guess, that these devices can be useful um, and cost effective for managing clinical conditions. We're seeing a lot of work being done to develop the tech and to assess its accuracy, but we're really lacking the studies that demonstrate that these devices can actually improve clinical care. Mm. Um, and so I think in the next five years or so, that's the kind of research that's going to be emerging. Um, it's certainly the kind of research I like to be involved in as well. Um, and I think it's a crucial bit of the puzzle to eventually have these devices implemented into clinical care um, to ensure that they're actually successful and helpful <laughs> for GPs and for patients. Well, we've already seen the big cumbersome PSGs now being somehow changed and morphed into the ambulatory home monitors, which are amazing. You can get unhooked from all this huge machinery and lots of leads. So in the future, is it possible that even the home ambulatory home monitoring devices will become so small that you either wear um, a band on your forehead, uh, something on your arm, a little thing on your leg, and it would do the job that we're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're pretty much there. Um, so wow. some of the tech that we're seeing at the moment, um, you know, some of the simplified oximeters, for example, we're seeing even, I saw the other day, a 3D printed chest sensor to pick up on ECG. Um, so we're seeing a lot of these developments um, where we're getting the miniaturization of these sensors um, that have traditionally been very big and bulky and expensive. Mm. Um, so we're seeing this development happen, um, but technology is just moving at such a rapid rate that we're really lacking the validation studies of this tech, which is obviously a crucial element uh, to it being implemented into practice. Is that your area looking at validation? Yeah, so partly part of my research is um, assessing the accuracy of these uh, sleep devices. Um, so I've looked at a fair few of them, um, some of the forehead EEG based devices, um, the wrist worn devices, which are quite common as well. Um, also under mattress sleep sensors as well. So that um, it's just a little sensor goes underneath your mattress and it inflates and basically measures pressure changes. And that is a way that it can detect um, breathing, heart rate, and is able to estimate sleep staging across the night. So we're seeing a lot of amazing tech um, and the validation work is coming, but it's definitely lagging behind the technological I development. I'm really interested in it under bed thing. I mean, how accurate, because it looks like there's so many parameters that can change the pressure on the device. How's your research in that area going? 
Yeah, so um, we've done some preliminary va validation work uh, now with a particular under mattress sleep sensor, and it is actually pretty accurate. Um, so we've been looking at it for AHI estimation, um, and it is really good. Um, in terms of sleep duration as well, it can be usually within about 30 minutes of PSG sleep duration. Uh, so this tech, it's simplified, non-contactless, um, relatively affordable as well, um, and can be used for multi-nights. Um, and it's, yeah, very accurate compared to our gold standard. Amazing. And does that apply for, say, children to really big adults? Yeah, it's a good question. So a lot of our work so far has been in adults and a lot of the validation work for sleep tech is in adults. Mm -hmm. um, so certainly the validation in children and adolescents is lagging behind. And so, yeah, hopefully once we see this tech implemented more into clinical practice, we'll see these companies really wanting to validate their tech in children and adolescents, recognising the market there. Yes, because I can imagine that children and sleep studies don't seem to go very well together. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. Where do you think we're going to end up, Hannah? And whom will have access to these sorts of resources? And more importantly, what do you expect these sorts of devices to change, uh, both in clinical practice for the doctors and especially to the lives of the people who are wearing the devices? I think it's really going to change a lot of our processes. Um, we're going to see, hopefully, um, some of the simpler or at least less complex clin clinical cases being managed completely outside of the sleep lab. So I can see a role of these, um, this emerging sleep technology uh, being used for diagnosis and for ongoing management completely separate to the sleep lab. Perhaps we will see just the rarer cases um, or in the event of like failed studies and that kind of thing, we might still see them in the lab, but we'll see a lot of work in the home environment. And that has many benefits to patients um, and to clinical providers as well. Um, there's huge wait lists at the moment for sleep studies. So hopefully we can minimize that wait list by taking some of those people um, off of the wait list and instead managing them with this sleep tech. And so I think in terms of who uh, these devices are gonna be available for, ideally I'd like to see it available for everyone. <laughs> And I think that is the goal. Mm. There's certainly some barriers there, um, not to mention, you know, just even what these devices require. So you have to have, in order to operate these devices, um, a level of technological understanding, which might disadvantage certain uh, populations. Um, it requires typically reliable internet access, which can be problematic in uh, certain rural and remote communities who actually probably stand to benefit the most mm -hmm. <laughs> from this kind of tech because they have to travel so far for a lab sleep study. Okay. Um, so there's certainly some barriers to implementation there for us to overcome. But I think we've there's a pretty big team of researchers in Australia who are trying to work with these companies to try and have uh, devices that are accessible by as many populations as we can um, and that are helpful to them as well. Hannah, I'm going to ask a different question because suddenly I'm thinking of my patients with, say, respiratory disorders, uh, COPD, heart failure, and a lot of the things you track 
are actually important to us uh, on an ongoing basis. Do you ever think that your technology for sleep might change how we do remote transmission of live data from patient to doctors? Excellent question. Um, I think it will. So we're seeing some of these watches now. Um, you can do even simplified ECG assessments in real time. The data is then stored in a cloud-based server, which you could then have piped to a clinician in real time. So you can see how that kind of technological capability um, could really transform how we manage um, all kinds of disorders, not just sleep disorders. You're changing, you're going to change really what general practice can be like, because if you keep in mind, you know, things like oximetry, blood pressure, blood sugar levels, these sorts of things, ECGs, they are very important things to us for some of our patients. And to have real-time data, if you like, going into a server of some sort that then highlights and notifies the doctor because something is not right is amazing. Yeah, I completely agree. It's certainly, I think, on the horizon as well. I mean, we have talked about oxygen. So we have blood pressure cuffs, which mm -hmm. do the exact same thing. Um, so they'll take blood pressure measurement, feed it back into the cloud. That can then be piped to a clinician portal. And then any abnormalities can be notified uh, or the clinician can be notified of them. So yeah, exactly. That that technology is there. It's just its implementation in practice is lagging behind. Um, and I think the demonstration as well, we need that demonstration that this kind of technology and these practices, which the technology can enable, um, that this will actually lead to better outcomes to patients. And so we're still waiting on that. But certainly you can see that there's a lot of promise in these developments. I can just see that, you know, rather than just talk about wearables for sleep disorders, you really have to work on respiratory disorders and heart failure uh, because they, they, they're just such a similar space. Exactly. We're all interested in the same signals. <laughs> so you can see it could definitely help the management of a lot of health conditions. Absolutely. What about the use of your EEGs in the management of, say, uh, epileptic seizures and whether or not a patient is well controlled or not? Does it have a role? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, it potentially could. And I think there would still be a lot of ongoing work there uh, to demonstrate that. I haven't seen research looking at using these devices in people with epilepsy, um, but you can certainly see there is a potential mm -hmm. role there. And if you allow your mind to go nuts, how far can this go and uh, how far away is it? I think that's that's the kicker, isn't it? In terms of translating into routine clinical care, hopefully we're not too far off. <laughs> mm -hmm. It is probably going to take a lot of time. Uh, there's a lot of barriers to the implementation of sleep tech into clinical care, funding purely being mm -hmm. one of the major barriers we have to overcome. Um, and certainly training, a lot of training as well. But hopefully, I think the the promise and the potential benefits of this technology is just so huge that I think that uh, we're seeing consumers, 
driving for this change. We're seeing uh, clinical practitioners wanting this data available. Um, and we're seeing systems as well wanting to have simpler, cost-effective management of chronic health conditions. And so I think we all the ducks are lining up. Mm. So hopefully we're not too far away for this actually to become a reality. Before I leave you, I, let's just say my patient comes and says to me, um, Dr. Lim, I would like to measure my sleep patterns. I wonder if I'm sleeping enough uh, and whether or not it's of good quality, whatever that means. What should I get? It's a great question. So there's that many devices available on the market. They all vary in their accuracy for estimating sleep. Um, I think there's a few devices which are, um, at least there's more research available than others. Uh, Fitbit tends to be one of them. Mm -hmm. um, some of the under mattress sleep tech we're seeing as well. But the do, general... Sorry, do, do they have a name, the under mattress sleep detectors? So the one that I work with a lot is the Withings sleep mat. How do you spell uh, that? Uh, W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S. So yeah, the Withings sleep mat is one of the common ones. But a general rule of thumb, which might be helpful for GPs, is that the more sensors it has, mm -hmm. the more accurate it tends to be. <laughs> so the ones that are purely motion-based, they just have an accelerometer in them. Okay. They're not great for sleep staging. In fact, they can't sleep stage. Mm -hmm. um, and they're reasonably accurate for sleep and wake detection, um, but they're not brilliant. Certainly the ones which have added heart rate sensors in them tend to be a bit better mm -hmm. and again adding the o2 sensor as well tends to make them a bit better so certainly the um, multi-sensor devices that are now becoming more available on the market tend to have greater accuracy than some of the single uh, sensor devices without mentioning brand names a particular phone and watchmaker seem to be doing a lot of what you've just mentioned. Is Fitbit in the same space? Yes, they are. Um, they are in the same space. And so, yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of these companies are playing catch up with each other, <laughs> trying to incorporate as many sensors as they can, um, recognizing there's different benefits to these different signals that they're able to collect. Um, and we're really seeing all these sensors being integrated to the point where we're almost having a simplified sleep study um, in some of these devices. Certainly the forehead worn ones are almost there. We're seeing a lot, lot more sensors, um, I think, in the next couple of years will, will be incorporated into these devices. What are some of the more reliable headband ones? Certainly one of the biggest ones is the Dream headband. Um, that's been around for a few years now, and uh, there is um, some evidence, uh, some research published behind it as well. People might remember the Zio headband, which was came out before the Dream headband. Um, that one has um, is now no longer available, and it's just a reality we're seeing with these devices that they might only be available on the market for a few years or so. Um, and within the past, even just the past 12 months, there's been some companies which have announced um, that they're going to be selling um, some forehead-worn uh, sensors as well. There's a couple I know of in America, for example, um, where they've really got the tech available and they're waiting for that uh, FDA approval. 
Could I ask with a combination of, say, a headband, your under mattress, uh, sleep mats, and maybe a, a, a wrist wearable, could they work better together? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think we've been asking ourselves the same question of how can we take the data from all of these different sensors placed all over the body? How can we take these and integrate them and potentially get a better picture of someone's sleep um, than we would get just from a one device. That's going to require uh, a lot of technological advancement. Um, We're going to need to see these sensors work together in some sort of integrated platform. We're probably going to get a lot of pushback (laughs) from companies, you know, not wanting their sensor to be integrated with others as well. But certainly some of the technology we're seeing, it's being developed designed for that purpose Mm. Uh, so printed electrodes which go on the best position on the body and then all of that data is collated together Um, so that technology is emerging um, and so I think we're not too far off um, from seeing um, that being a reality of having all these sensors placed all over the body uh, to estimate sleep. No, I'm just thinking of that a third party might be the one that stitches up all these various sensors. There's definitely an opportunity there for sure. Um, it's it's the getting all the data together mm. and making recommendations back to the clinician based on the data. That's missing at the moment. And there's, there's definitely a need for that and need to be able to interpret the data and feed it back. If I could summarise in a way, Hannah, you're really saying to us that there is so much work being done on remote sensors or wearable sensors now that there are many types of wearables and under mattress things that can almost accurately measure many parameters relating to, if you like, health from sleep, O2 sats, ECGs, blood pressure, and a time may come when they can all come together to give possibly a really good clinical picture of where the patient's at. And it's also possible that all these data can be streamed to the patient's GP in real time and change clinical practice in so many ways. That's right. I think we're almost there. That's exactly where the field is heading. That's exactly where the research is heading as well. And so it won't be too far long before that's a reality. Do you have any resources where GPs who are interested can look up where all this research is headed? Yeah, so if uh, GPs are interested, they can have a look at our website. So if they Google FUMRI, F-H-M-R-I, Sleep Health, that's our research group. Um, And we're doing a lot of research with this sleep technology, um, looking at applying it, assessing its accuracy, applying it into clinical practice. Um, So if GPs Google us, they'll be able to find um, all of our research there. Fabulous. Now, before I go, what about its role in patients with narcolepsy in the daytime? So we we treat them. How do we assess if, in fact, the medications are working? Can your devices help detect narcolepsy? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So I think we are almost there. Um, we are seeing some research assessing these devices in patients with narcolepsy. We're yet to see the demonstration that we can accurately diagnose narcolepsy from the data available from these devices. But if we can, then you can see an ongoing role uh, for sleep tech with patients with narcolepsy where we're able to not just diagnose but potentially manage the ongoing management of their condition can be supported uh, through the ongoing monitoring of their sleep. Because you take that one step further, Hannah, and you look at patients with sleep apnea and narcolepsy uh, who drive trucks and all other types of occupation that really need to know that the patient's okay, this has got a big role, hasn't it? Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest advantages of the sleep technology is that it can be used. It's so simple and so cheap that it can be used every night. Uh, so you can see how it can support the ongoing management of these conditions and potentially identify people at risk of motor vehicle accidents, as you're alluding to there, and even just to assess the accuracy of new treatments that they're trying um, and help um, in, the, in treatment decision making as well. Hannah, what are your final messages to our GP listeners? Yeah, I think um, I would love to say to GPs that to just remain open hmm. to this sleep technology. Definitely, you have a right to be cautious. And we there's still a lot of research that needs to be done to demonstrate that this tech is useful and is helpful for patients. Um, but I think it's only a matter of time before we see this technology implemented into current practice. Um, and so if GPs are able to keep up with as much as they can these ongoing developments, then that's really going to help speed ahead some of these changes. It's been such a pleasure talking to you, Hannah. Thank you, Dr. Lim. It's been a pleasure talking to you too. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for tonight's webcast, where you can always catch a high-quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high-quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points, and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can claim RACGP CPD points for listening to this podcast using the self-claim option. Log into your account on the RACGP website, go to the CPD section and click on self-claim.